Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, last week we started um, going through our separation, or what we call standard sheet for officers and workers, which is really a good guide for everyone. And we talked about separation. You know, when you say the word separation or biblical separation, people get negative, negative ideas immediately. But we saw last week very clearly that with the nation of Israel, with in the church, churches, and with individuals, God's purpose and commands or things that he forbids us or commands us not to do is to protect us and so that we will glorify him, be a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use. Um, you know, I mentioned this morning that sheep need fences for their protection. Um, and uh, we're considered sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And again, so those things that God gives us in his word, those commandments, you know, thou shalt not, and thou shalt, those are all for our good, uh, for our protection, for our help in our walk with the Lord while we sojourn here on this earth. So tonight we're going to look at importance of church attendance. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. We pray that you'd help us as we look into this topic tonight of church attendance, the importance of it, and I pray that you would encourage our hearts and challenge us and help us to see the need to uh, faithfully, um, habitually assemble together, uh, that we might be encouraged and strengthened and challenged in our walk with the Lord and grow as we ought in that which pleases Him. We do pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in a day where uh, of, of church attendance is really waning, seriously. I just read a statistic the other day, and I can't remember what it was now. But, but uh, you know, there's, there's many, many people are forsaking church. And even the, the, uh, with the COVID restrictions, you know, early on, one of the things they said was not essential was church. Church attendance was not essential. Uh, really, that's an unconstitutional statement because, you know, our state constitution uh, and our national constitution guarantees us the freedom to worship. You know, and our state constitution says this concerning religious liberty, quote, all persons have a natural inalienable right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own consciences. And no human authority shall in any case, whatever, control or interfere with the rights of conscience, unquote. So, you know, this is, this is part of the, this is the Articles of Declaration of Rights under the North Carolina State Constitution, and it says that no person, no human authority, has any right to dictate the consciences of worship uh, concerning people. And, of course, that has to do with uh, assembling together as well. So tonight we're going to look at this importance of assembling together. And I have six or seven things here uh, that I want to mention. First of all, the priority of public worship in the scriptures. 
And uh, let's go to Jeremiah. We'll be looking at several passages of Scripture tonight. Jeremiah chapter 17. Uh, you know, one of the things or the reasons of the captivity was they're not keeping, for the nation of Israel, was they're not keeping the Sabbath as they were commanded. In Jeremiah 19, or Jeremiah 17, verse 19, it says, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of thy people, whereby the kings of Judah come in, and by the way which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem. And say thou unto them, Hear me, hear ye the word of the Lord, ye kings of Judah and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do you any work, but hallow hallow you the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work therein, then shall they there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places about Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the plain and from the mountains and from the South, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and meat offerings and incense and bringing sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. But if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day and not bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. So God had set aside by his own example, you know, he the Bible tells us in Genesis that in six days God created the heaven and the earth, and the seventh day he rested. And so he commanded his people that they were to work six days and to rest and worship the seventh day. And we see clearly here the purpose of the seventh day was that they were to enter into the gates, enter, the, enter into the city of Jerusalem. They were to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices and meat offerings and incense and sacrifices of praise. Under the house of the Lord. So the purpose, the evident purpose of this Sabbath for the Jewish nation, and that was the seventh day, and of course we worship on the first day, but they were commanded by example and by a command to set aside a day of worship for God Almighty. However, they did not do that. They became greedy. You know, just like, just like people today, they get greedy. They think of, well, we need another day in the week to work, and we need another, another day in the week to, to fulfill our obligations and, and to make some extra money, and, and the Lord's Day becomes just another day of the week. You know, when I was growing up, and that wasn't all that long ago, uh, you know, there, you know, nor this gray hair. But anyway, uh, you know, there, were a lot of, there was very few grocery stores open when I was a kid. But now, lots of people do their grocery shopping on Sunday. The Lord's Day. You see, a day set aside demonstrates what we value. It declares a priority in our life. Psalm 111 verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. 
And so there ought to be a priority. In Hebrews 10 here that we read says, we're to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. So there were even some in that day that were forsaking the assembling together of the Lord's people. And, but he said, we're not to do that. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I understand. You know, we live in a day where we're, life is fast-paced. We got so many things. You know, you, you think with all the gadgets we have to make life easier, you'd have lots of time, right, Mandy? But you know what we do? We spend lots of time on these gadgets that are supposed to save us time. And we don't prioritize the time that we should for the Lord. Not just on the Lord's day, but every day in His Word. So, see, it's a, it, we need to make it a priority. Uh, Spurgeon said this, quote never, quote, never neglect the means of grace. God may bless us when we are not in His house. But we have the greater reason to hope that He will, when we are, that He will, uh, when we are in communion with His saints. That he'll bless us when we are in communion with his saints. And so, so we are not to neglect. We need to make it a priority of public worship. As we see here that was commanded and taught in the scriptures, the children of Israel has set that aside. And because of that, you know, they, they didn't seek the Lord first. God became second to them. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, you know, fruits of all that was forsaking the house of the Lord and the Sabbath day worship was they made alliances with the nations around them for protection instead of relying on the Lord for their protection. So the priority of public worship. Secondly, it is time set aside for growth through preaching. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, it's a very short verse, despise not prophesying. And that word prophesying means preaching. You know, the word despise means to don't render it common or just an ordinary thing. You know, don't put it on the same level. You know, you ought not put your Bible reading on the same level as even reading the Constitution of the United States. They're not on the same level. They should not have the same priority. Or any other book that you have should not have priority over the Word of God. And preaching should not be considered common or an ordinary thing. Uh, you know, we need to consider it is, it is important or essential for Christian growth. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, understand that was written at a time that people did not have Bibles in their hands. There was very few copies of the Scripture. In fact, the Scriptures weren't even completed yet at this time of that statement was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, many of the books had been written, but the Bible had not been put together or collated into one book yet at this point. So, faith cometh by hearing. You know, I believe we can get faith, gain faith, by reading. But the greatest way or measure, the greatest way we can get, gain faith is by hearing the Word of God. Uh, John 17, 17. Sanctify 
through thy truth, for thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. The word sanctify here means to purify internally. You know, preaching will work to purify your soul, the inner man. It will work in your heart to conform you to the image of Christ. You know, Titus 1.3 says, But it hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. That word manifest there means made plain or understood. You know, Ezra, though he was a ready scribe in the law of God, and the Bible says in, in I think it was in uh, Nehemiah, that he stood on a pulpit of wood, and he read the scriptures distinctly, and then he made the sense thereof. In other words, he made it plain or understandable to the people. That was, he, 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 you know, we'd call that expositional preaching. Uh, and so God has manifested his word or made it plain or understood through preaching. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says he's given us pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, and that is the people of God, the church. So, you know, it is in the church through preaching that we learn our purpose in life. We find meaning in life. We learn God's will for our life in the church through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God. You know, God's will for you, it isn't all that complicated. You know, I used to think it was complicated, and, and you know, really, honestly, I think preachers used to complicate it. They'd give you this impression, well, you've got to go to Bible college and find out what God's will is for your life. Why do you have to go to Bible college? You've got to learn that in church. God's will is for you to obey what you know is right, right now. That's God's will. See, so we had this idea that we had to go to Bible college and learn what God's will is out there in the future. Well, God doesn't show me my, His will for me out in the future. Now, I have an idea of what I think it may be. But I can't know that. Because I don't have foreknowledge. But I can, God, know God's will for me right now. And that's where I live. I live right now. I live in the now. Nasty as it may be, or good as it may be. But that's where I live. I live in, in the now. I can't live in the future. Because I don't know what the future holds. Only God knows that. And I need to let the future rest with God. But what I do need to do is do what I know is right for me right now. And that is God's will for my life. But see, we had this idea, well, we want to know what God's will is for the future. Well, how about serving him right now and doing what you know to be right right now? And God will take care of the future when you get there. You know, that, that's, that's how we find out God's will. You know, and so we learn this through the word being made plain or manifest through preaching. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable for service. And be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, through preaching we learn that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We need to die to self. That's what the Bible commands. He that saveth his life will lose it, but he that loses his life shall save it. And so, so we learn that through preaching, that we need to 
present our bodies a living sacrifice, and we also learn through preaching that we need to renew our minds. So God can so work in our hearts to, re, to, to change us and transform us into that which pleases Him. You know, if you want real change in your life, you've got to renew your mind. You know, we live in a world that's full of corrupt information, corrupt thinking, fake news. I mean, you know, it's everywhere. It's not just in, it's just, it's not just in the halls of CNN and, and NBC and all these places. It's everywhere. False philosophies of child rearing and psychology and all these kinds of things. There's all this fake stuff. That's not true. And we need to come to the Word of God and through the preaching of the Word of God, renew our minds and come to truth. Because the Word is truth. And see, that will transform our lives then in to live differently, look at the world differently, give us purpose and meaning for life. So, so it's important to set aside, you know, church attendance set aside for growth through preaching. Thirdly, church attendance support, important, is important for the consideration of the church body. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 10, go back to verse 19, says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So purpose of church, one of the purposes of church attendance is, is to consider one another. You know, the exhortation here in this passage is to the assembling together, to enter into the place as an assembly, to enter into the place of God's, you know, the greatest presence of God on earth, and that is the assembly, the local church. You know, God's presence started out in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the wilderness. Remember, after after the Aaron, Moses and Aaron, they set up, and the sons of Levi set up the tabernacle, and they they put the ark in its place, and then the shining glory cloud covered that place. That speaks of the presence of God, and that's where they met with God. That was the that was the greatest presence of God anywhere on earth in that time. And of course, that tab, that that. You know, I don't know. We don't really know what happened to the tabernacle. So we know the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines for a period of time, and then then dwelled in Beth Shemesh and some other places, and finally brought to Jerusalem by David. But but it, it was just in a tent, and it wasn't really it wasn't really spoken much of at that time until Solomon. Of course, David desired to build a temple, and and he wasn't he was forbidden to do so. But he said, Solomon, your son will build. It. So Solomon built this temple for the Lord, and they put the Ark then in the temple. And after they put in the ark and they pulled out the staves, guess what returned? Was that Shekinah glory cloud again. That the priest could not enter in because of the glory of God. Again, signifying this is the place where you meet with God. Corporately. Well, you come to the New Testament. 
When Jesus died on the cross, that temple, that, that uh, veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. Signifying the end of the temple worship. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter, when, when the disciples were assembled together and, 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 and the Spirit of God came in and dwelled them, again, they uh, hung over them like cloven tongues of fire. Again, symbolic of the presence of God. Saying that the presence of God is no longer going to meet with you in the temple. He's going to meet with you in His church. In His church. See, it's the, it's the place of the greatest presence of God on earth is in His church. In one of His churches. And in the church, we are to consider. Notice it says, let us consider one another. That means to be attentive to one another, to observe one another, to be accountable to one another. To provoke, that word provoke means to stir up, you know, uh, to contend. You know, when one is seeming to turn away from the Lord, it, it's, it's important for us as Christians to challenge them with the truth, to warn them of going away from God. You know, consider your ways, that kind of thing. You know, like, like a shepherd would a sheep who seems to wander off. You know, wanna, you know sometimes, you know, uh, you read accounts of shepherds and their sheep, and, you know, sheep like to wander away from the group. They, they think there's something a little better over here somewhere away, you know, that, that the rest of the sheep aren't, aren't, aren't getting. So they'll wander off. Out from under the protection of the shepherd, not thinking about the fact that, there may be dangers lurking. There may be poisonous weeds. There may be uh, predators. And you know, often what the shepherd will do, if a sheep keeps wandering off too much, you know what he'll do? He'll break one of his legs. He'll break one of his legs. See, that's cruel. And then he carries it. He carries it with him. Until that leg heals. And, you know, that, they say that sheep will never leave his side again. You see, when in a church, as we consider one another, we, sometimes it, it means, you know, when it says to provoke and the love and good works, it's, it's challenging one another and warning one another of going astray. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, if, a, if, a, if, a, if somebody is your true friend, he's going to warn you of the error of your way. And that's what we are to do in a church. We are to encourage one another. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Spurgeon said this, quote, It is the duty of every Christian, nay, it is the instinct of his spiritual life, to avow the faith which he has received, and avowing it he finds himself associated with others who have made the same profession. And he assists them in holy labor. When he is strong, he ministers of his strength to the weak. When he himself is weak, he borrows strength from those who just then happen to be strong in faith. When we are... when when were our Christian institutions, where, 
where were our Christian institutions if church fellowship were broken up? Plainly, if it be right for one Christian to remain out of church fellowship, it is right for all. And then if there were no churches, there would be no institution. And where would the gospel itself be? Unquote. See, he says the purpose here is, you know, when, when, when one's strong, he can minister strength to those who are weak. When he's weak, others who are strong can minister strength to him. You know what? Corinthian, you know, Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, when one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. When one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so, you know, this is, this is, this is you, know, the, the, you know, when we give consideration to the church body, we consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. So, consideration for the body. And then fourthly, for the prayer or corporate prayer of the saints. You know, there is power in prayer. But I believe there's greater power in corporate prayer. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 4 uh, and 5, we know uh, Herod had beheaded James, and then it says, and when he had apprehended him, that is Peter, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, tending after each to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You see, prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Nehemiah 4 9, you know, Nehemiah is in danger from the enemies without. And so he, he says this in Nehemiah 4 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. We. You know, so there was a collective prayer going on there. James 5 talks about the prayers, the effectual, fervent prayers of righteous man. But he says, you know, if we, uh, we are to uh, confess our faults one to another and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so, so you know, as a church, we are to pray one for another. And, and gather together in corporate unity in prayer. There's power in corporate prayer. And so it is a place to meet together for prayer. Fifthly, it's a place for the exercise of divine judgment. Now, Ecclesiastes 3.16 says this, And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there. And the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. Now, let me explain that. Okay, in places in our nation and around the world where there's supposed to be justice, is there wickedness there? (laughs) Yeah, there is. There is. You know, we're talking about, you know, the halls of justice, of government, of law. Is there wickedness there? Yes, there is. There is. It's becoming greater and greater in our country. Um, you know, but, but, but uh, it, there always has been. There always has been corruption in government. Although the American model was the most fair of any government trial by jury that we have. That was the most fair. 
that man could man can institute. Um, you know, in places of religion, okay, whether uh, places of righteousness, where there's supposed to be righteousness, in places of religion, <laughs> is there wickedness there? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And always has been. You know, when churches drift from their head and drift from the Word of God, there'll be wickedness there. And even in good churches, there are people who sin, in case you didn't know that. Yeah. To be plainly honest, you're one of them, and I'm one of them. However, in a New Testament church, where you have people working together and seeking God's will and following their head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and striving to be obedient to, to the Word of God, it is the most just and righteous body in earth. Now you might say, well, I've been to some pretty bad places in church. Yeah, I have been too. Well, there was a lot of corruption. I was involved in a ministry one time where they hadn't seen a financial statement in years. Nobody really knew where the money was going, where it was coming from, who it was being paid to. Who was getting it? Except one man. That's unscriptural for something to call itself a ministry. I've been in churches where things weren't done right because one man had too much authority and no one would challenge him. See, that's not right either. We see a church is to be a body. And when you have a body functioning as it should and considering one another and provoking one another, so when there is something that rises up that in that body that's wrong, it should be challenged. It should be challenged within the body by the Word of God. By the Word of God. Now, you better make sure you have the Word of God. But we're to follow the Word of God. You know, a New New Testament church is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, The New Testament church is a church that has Christ at its head, as its head, and the Word of God as its creed. Worst doctrine. You know, God's Word is our legislation given to us by holy men of God under the direction of the Spirit of God. And our responsibility is to carry it out, not to change it to suit what we want. That's our responsibility. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that, uh, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The word pillar means a support, speaks of a support that is firm and abiding. In other words, it does not change. It does not move. The word ground speaks of stability. You know, you ever say, well, I just want to plant my feet back on the ground. You know, when we went to Taiwan in 2018, my wife got back. She said, I just want to plant my feet back on American soil. You know, in other words, I want, I want stability. I want, I want, I want that, you know, and, and you know, the song says, plant my feet on the firm foundation for the Bible 
stands. It's a firm foundation. And if we follow, we collectively you know, come to conclusions about what the Bible says, we interpret the Bible correctly, there will be justice and righteousness in the body of Christ. And it'll be, the body of Christ should be the most righteous and just place on the earth. On the earth. When it's following its head. So it is a place for the exercise of divine judgment. You know, in Psalm 73, Asaph, uh, Asaph was being led astray by what he saw in the nation. Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3, says, So truly God is good to Israel, even as such as of our clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was foolish. I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Do you ever look at the world and say, you know, they don't seem to be have trouble, and they're doing wicked, but they don't seem to have problems that I have. Do you ever feel that way? Hey, welcome to real life. And this is the way, you know, and he describes, you know, the wicked men and how they seem to prosper. But then he gets down to verse 17, and he says this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. See, then I understood their end. Then I understood what true judgment and righteousness is in the earth and what will happen to them. In the, and she said, surely then, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. You know, th- yeah, they may be seeming to prosper as well, but they're prospering in slippery places. They're, they're risking their lives because sooner, you know, you know, you know, you can run for a time. In fact, I just read, just uh, just noticed this, and I was looking at some emails uh, yesterday about this guy, this banker, who stuffed, I think it was three hundred and some thousand dollars in a paper bag, and the money disappeared, and he disappeared. And it's been twenty years. Guess what? They found him. See what? Oh, he was prospering in his wickedness, but he was in a slippery place. You may think that you'll prosper in your wickedness and you may get away with it, but you're in a slippery place. Because there's a God in heaven that sees all, that we have to give an account to. And he says, Thou cast them down in destruction. Verse 18. How thy, are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. You know, people that live like that, who cheat and lie and steal, always live in fear of what? Being caught or found out. You know, that'd be an awful way to live. Constant fear. I remember Van just Chuck Coffee saying one time about the story he read. This was supposed to be a true account. A story we read where the police uh, saw this car driving down the road. And I don't know if it, 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 it did a... I, um, no, I guess it was, it was uh, uh, just driving down the road. They didn't know anything. They, didn't, they, didn't, you know, they weren't trying to arrest the guy anyway. But when the guy saw the police, he took off and drove his car down a field lane... 
and abandoned it and ran off. So upon investigation of why they find out the car was stolen. You see, they weren't even out to get him. They didn't know the car was stolen, but guilt caused him to flee. He lived in fear. And so, you know, this is, the church is a place, you know, we can, we can look at the world and we're going to see corruption, wickedness everywhere, but the church should be a place for the exercise of divine judgment. God's, God's judgment, not ours. All right, number six, importance of church attendance, it keeps our focus right. In Matthew chapter 6 and verses 22 through 34, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 20, 22 to 34, he says, The light of the body is the eye. If thine, therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if the eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or else he would hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you need to have a single focus. Therefore, understanding that, therefore, he says, verse 25, I send you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, neither for the body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. And he talks about the fowls, the air, and the lilies of the field, and how they grow. And, 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 you, know, and you know, even Solomon's not arrayed like that. And, and so he says, don't worry about it. Don't be consumed with what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and where you're going to shop. And buy your clothes. You know, we, are we consumed with those things in America? Uh, yeah, we are. We throw away more stuff than a lot of people use in a year. Um, but he says, don't be concerned about it. Here's, what you need to be, here's where your focus needs to be. Seek ye first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. If you follow the will of God, God will direct you how much you ought to eat how much you ought to drink, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, how much you need to spend or purchase for clothing. God knows we need all those things. We need food. We need drink. We need clothing. Those are needs. But we shouldn't be consumed with them. They shouldn't be the priority of life. They shouldn't be the focus of life. No, the focus of life should be, Lord, you direct my steps each day, even in these things. And so he says, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these and, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In John 6, 26 and 27, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. So many followed him because he fed them. You know, like those that come to church suppers. You know, but don't want to come any other time. Um, we don't have that problem, but, you know, we've had it in the past. And then in verse 27, he says, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Colossians 3, If you then be risen to Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead. You're dead to the world in Christ. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And even in Colossians 3, 22, 
through 24, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men please, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons. You know, we can get so caught up in our work that we forget why we are working. Whom we are actually serving in our work. Whether, whatever work kind of work we do, we're to do it heartily as unto the Lord. Well, see, we can get consumed in our work and we forget about, oh, I'm not just serving the city. I'm not just serving Brantley. I'm not just serving, you know, whoever. I'm serving God in this place. I'm serving God in this place. It's not just man. Not just serving man. You know, Jesus, or John the Baptist, you know, the, the soldiers came to him and said, what should we do? He said, be content with your wages. Serve your masters. Willingly. Uh, and so, it keeps our focus right. And of course, the church is a body of Christ. And we need to be faithful to the body. We are members of it, so we should be assembled together faithfully. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. You know, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is in the church we learn our purpose and responsibilities of, as children of God to a lost and dying world around us. You know, the Continental Congress began as a tool to organize the colonies against England. That's how it began. But that Continental Congress became the body that would discuss and set forth the purpose and responsibilities that come with independence. You know, the churches have been given the legislation or the laws of God to carry out to carry on until he comes for us. It's the churches. We're to execute or carry out his, his will until he comes for us. You know, we are to continue operating according to his words. And we're to be faithful in the body he has set us in. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house. Of the Lord. We ought to be glad. You know, we ought to be glad we can meet together like we do. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Even in, the call, even in America, it always was, wasn't always like this. In colonial days, there were some that met under duress, there were some that had their goods confiscated. They couldn't meet like we do. In many parts of the world, they still can't. They meet in fear. You know, we have a great privilege, and we ought to avail ourselves and be obedient to the command that God has given us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It is for our growth and our, and our good. Let's pray.